Hello, hello, Diamond David Lee Roth from Van Halen for your listening and viewing and dancing pleasure right here. And I'm going to talk to you about 1984, baby, 1984. What's happening with Van Halen is we just finished our new album. And uh, it's been in the making for quite a while here. We took uh, most of the last year, 1983, to make 1984. It's the way Van Halen does things. Music is something Van Halen makes when we run out of nothing to do. single jump has uh, been recorded on the Moog Sympathizer. Little Eddie Van Halen is a regular genuous on the Moog Sympathizer. He plays it with all 12 of his fingers, the same ones he uses on his guitars. These homemade Dennis the Menace bits of trouble and whatnot. And um, we'll be playing it as you hear it on the stage as we go around the world with this. We are carrying the world's largest production ever taken on a full-scale around-the-world tour. When we tour on the road, when Van Halen tours, we carry about 72 hardened criminals and a bookkeeper. Uh, a lot of people witness what goes out on the road with us, and they say, wow, it's kind of like a family. And I tell them, well, no, I like to perceive of it more as a gang. Straighten your stewardess to her full upright position, and please still all carry on children safely beneath the seat in front of you. Don't extinguish those smoking materials. We ain't going to land, baby. This is David Lee Roth from Van Halen. Always had it, always will. This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Now, crank it up. Hey, Hollywood, it's time to get into what is arguably the most successful Van Halen record of all time. And of course, that features David Lee Roth because, you know, why would it feature Sammy Hagar? So <laughs> this month's episode, we focus on Van Halen's epic 1984 album. And like all the rest of the episodes that we've done thus far, we bring in a special guest to help us out with that. We have none other than Brian Davis from Damn Good Movie Memories Podcast. Brian, what's going on? 
Well, hey, Stephen, and hey, Sonny. Thank you guys for having me on. This is like my home away from home. So I, I, I'm really uh, happy that you guys invited me for this. This is great. Yeah. How old are you in 1984? I, I, I was trying to figure this out. So five or six. So it just depends when the yeah. album came out. So I'm So you're five. five or six. I'm yeah. 15. Stephen's yeah. 38. So, okay, I got you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will bring you down, baby. I will bring you down to Chinatown. From the mouth of Top Jimmy himself. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I looked at a list of albums that were around in 1984, and it's pretty crazy the amount of what I would consider pretty huge epic albums that are still like famous today. I mean, in all genres, right? You got stuff like uh, Bruce Springsteen and Mellencamp and all these just like Prince and Madonna, all these albums that were epic at the time with uh 1984s right in there with all of the rest of them so it's pretty incredible time for music and 1984 is a special year for me because that's the year i graduated i wasn't 38 you bastard uh, no i was still stuck on you graduated <laughs> been 38 you don't know that's yeah, the only thing i passed but okay whatever i did graduate i got the diploma it wasn't a ged <laughs> good enough diploma <laughs> good, good enough diploma i've never heard that but that's pretty fucking I think funny i ripped man. that off from chris rock yeah yeah that's pretty funny <laughs> well so brian tell us a little bit both sunny and i have been on damn good movie memories podcast oh, yeah. a ton but for listeners that maybe are tuning in for the first time give folks a rundown on what your podcast is all about because it's way different than what we do here yeah, so if you guys have heard the uh, the Rockstar episode that uh, your, your listeners, that was kind of, um, I'll, I'll just say, an homage to damn good movie memories in some ways. So I've been going through maybe the last two years, the podcast has been around since 2016, specific movies in my DVD collection, which has been a lot of fun because I just pick random stuff. So it could be like something like Rockstar or, or Stakeout. You guys are going to be guesting on that. And it's just, it's been a lot of fun to revisit movies in my collection. And uh, really, it's for everyone in the sense that if you've seen the movie a million times, you're going to learn something about the making of the film or something you might not have remembered. Or if you've never seen the movie, it might give you the impetus to go back and, and rewatch it, which has been, it's a perfect time to do that. <laughs> you know, even though things are opening up now, there are no new movies really coming out. So might as well revisit stuff either you've never seen or stuff you just want to revisit. So it's, it's really been a lot of fun to do that. And I love getting people on that, uh, you know, have some interesting insights, like when they first saw these films and whatnot. So yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of, a lot of fun. It's been rewarding to do. And Brian edits those podcasts a lot, <laughs> man. He does way more editing than I ever want to do with this podcast. He drops in all kinds of sound bites from the movies and all that stuff. So it's always fun. He always has a different guest on at the end. He shares a bunch of information about the movie. And quite frankly, a lot of times it just makes me want to go see the movie, even if I haven't seen it. So I did go check out in and out after he made that suggestion to me. I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. I missed it completely when it was out in whatever year that came out 97 97 but both me and my wife watched that flick and uh you know it was a nice little flick so it was good yeah and i a lot of time i have a wide range i love films from the 30s and the 40s and so that's maybe not in everyone's bang zone but funny enough a lot of the guests i get for those episodes are actually in their 20s so it's been it's been really rewarding and just a wide range of films and and you, you mentioned the editing it is a lot of work and you guys put in a ton of work too but you think about it this is our legacy we do this for the fun of it 
And when we're dead and gone, this is still going to be on the internet. Nobody's going to care about what we did for a living. They're going to find this on the internet. So you might as well do it right. And I think we do things the right way. It's little pieces of movie history, as I like to say. Yeah, yeah. But Grown Up Rock's the same way. You guys are doing the same thing. Yeah, the editing is interesting because if you want to get into podcasting and you want to edit your own stuff, man, if you've got some issues like OCD or you're a perfectionist or you hear things other people don't hear, oh my God, you could edit that thing to death. There's after a while, I'm just like, okay, that's going to have to be good enough. I can't get it no better than that. And I'm not going to put any more work into it right now because nobody's even going to notice. No, exactly. I'm the only one that notices, but it's a good in a way, because if you don't want to listen to your own podcast, then nobody else is going to want to as well. Right. So you have to, but again, you're perfect. You're exactly right. you got to know when to stop. And it's like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's going to, because people are cooking or they're walking or they're doing, they're not going to hear this little drop or something like that, but you know, you do it because you might as well do it right. Sonny speaks from experience. He's been editing a lot lately and he's got OCD. Uh, yeah, but I use the computer to fix a lot of stupid shit, right? So the lady just comes on and fixes everything he says stupid, basically, which basically <laughs> the computer is doing most of the talking after. <laughs> which I is love a that lot. Computer voice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every time the computer voice comes on an episode, you know Sonny edited that thing. <laughs> <laughs> and most of the time, like he said, it's to fix something stupid that I said. Most of the time, it's something that I can't pronounce. These damn rock stars with their crazy names, because now we got rock stars from Brazil and Mexico and Italy and everywhere else. What happened to Joe Smith? (laughs) David Lee Roth. David Lee Roth. Eddie Van Halen. Easy for me to pronounce. Ray Gillen. Ian Gillen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> even I even I get that wrong. So that's not a good that's not actually a good uh example there, Brian. <laughs> I knew what I was saying. Uh yeah, I knew I knew you knew what you were saying. <laughs> I, I, I should do it in a high female computer voice then. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh what about you have a um internet radio show as well. You want to tell us a little bit about that as well? I do. It's on uh, thatmetalstation.com every Wednesday night at uh, 11 p.m. Eastern Time and 8 p.m. Pacific and it's called the Bad Beat because uh my the acronym of my initials are BAD. So there you go. And uh yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. It's it's been going on for about two years now, and uh, I pretty much play music. It's hard rock and metal, but it's all uh, inspired by the blues because the foundation of everything hard rock and metal, of course, is the blues. And and uh, I, I know uh, Stephen actually guessed in one of the episodes we did uh, Crossroads with Ralph Macchio, and uh, where we get into the blues and everything. So it's the same thing. So I like to I have something from my father who is very much into the blues, and so it's called the Bob Blues Block, where we basically play you know a set just strictly blues and then the rest of it is you know aerosmith from the 70s acdc zeppelin deep purple those type of bands and then newer bands that are very much influenced by the blues so it's it's been a lot of fun it's very rewarding and it gives me to a chance to to uh have a music outlet because radio is totally different than podcasting you have to be on live and whereas podcasting you know people can listen to it whenever they want so it's been a lot of fun to do crossroads that guitar behind me kicks machio's ass <laughs> well steve i lose that come on yeah he technically beat Ry cooter playing <laughs> or vice versa but yeah that's what a what a brilliant movie uh yeah the karate kid beats steve i Oops. yeah yeah Whatever. listen wax on wax off even on guitars people even yeah. on guitar <laughs> All right, so we're here to talk about Van Halen's 1984 opus. But before we do that, you know, we got to do this. It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. 
So tonight's Crank It Up New Music Spotlight comes to us from the UK band The Treatment. They're putting out what I think is their first record on Frontiers, but it's their fifth studio album called Waiting for Good Luck. And I don't know if you've seen this album cover, but they used my likeness on the album cover, which I don't necessarily appreciate. So go check out the album cover. You'll see what I'm talking about. But we're going to play a song called Lightning in a Bottle. Check it out. Until you obey 
that is straight up you. I just saw the album cover. Oh my god, that is straight up you. Playing the banjo. The banjo. He's like yeah. half passed out. Yeah. Oh, this is awesome. Can you say deliverance? Yeah. I figured you guys would enjoy that, so I'll poke fun at myself. I noticed the one the one foot, like he's got like a half a shoe on and it's poking yep. through. It's freaking hilarious. <laughs> Uh, this album actually is pretty good. It is on my list to possibly make top 10 this year. I love that album. It's a really good album. Yeah, it's a really good record. Their albums, for me personally, have been really consistent. Their last album made my top 10 of that year, which I think was 2019 or 2018. But I just, I like the band. Uh, and uh, Brian and I were talking about it a little bit earlier, which is, I don't know what singer they're on. They've had two or three singers. Mm-hmm. They first came onto my radar because they opened up that Motley Crue Kiss tour. That's the first time I ever heard of them. And I hadn't even heard the record at that point in time, but I thought they were really good live. So I went and picked up that first album because that was the tour they were doing. And then they've gotten, I know, at least one new singer, maybe two, but I've liked everything they've done. So they're good for me. Brian, you know the treatment at all? Oh, yeah. Same thing. Like I discovered them because of that first album in Motley Crue. And this album in particular is very ACDC-ish, uh, more than others. I mean, they definitely have that vibe. But uh, yeah, if you're in any like, 80s hard rock band, like if you're into those types of bands, I think the treatment's right up your alley. Anyone that's into that stuff. Yeah, for me, it's meat and potatoes, rock and roll, big riffs. And to me, on this record, their songwriting has gotten a little bit better. It's a little bit hookier, a little bit more, I guess, better melodies or whatever. But they just seem to be progressing. So I dig what I'm hearing. Yeah. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. So it's time to get into 1984. Brian, what's your history with Van Halen? So my actually introduction uh, was this particular album. And, and of all people, my mom, she was and is just a huge music fan. She loves all types of genres. And now at this time, this is the mid 80s. Uh, she was not, I would say, a big hard rock fan. Uh, though, as I grew up, she got more and more into hard rock bands you know, like ACDC and Aerosmith because I play those tapes in the car. She bought the album 1984 simply because of the hit single, it, because of Jump. She didn't buy a single. She probably should have uh, because she bought the full 1984 cassette. And the really funny part was that she pretty much only listened to that track and then rewind it. And then this probably went on for a few weeks driving in the family truckster, which was the Dodge Caravan. And then finally, I just said, you know, I was like five or six at the time. Can we listen to something else like oh, that's past Jump? And, and she's like, okay. And that's really when my fandom of Van Halen began. Because once I heard the other songs, I was just enthralled because no other music that my parents listened to in the house or the car sounded like Van Halen. Now, I had heard Eddie Van Halen before without even realizing it because my favorite album at the time was Thriller. And of course, my favorite song was Beat It. So I had heard Eddie play the solo on Beat It, but didn't realize it. So that 1984 cassette basically became mine because I listened to that thing way more than my mom ever did. So it was like my first cassette. And and another funny story that I'll, I'll try to quickly tell. Around this time, my parents would go out and they'd leave our, you know, me and my younger sister with a babysitter. And one sitter in particular was a teenage boy who was a hard rock and metal kid. He was a, you know, was a friend of my parents. Like their parents were, you know, they were friends. And he wore a rat shirt and Molly Crew shirts and things like that. And I still remember to this day, like it was yesterday, he was looking through my parents' tape collection. And most of the tapes were your typical mid-80s parent stuff. Lionel Richie, The Arrhythmics, Billy Joel, Footloose soundtrack, stuff like that. And then like a bowl in the China shop, he sees 1984 and he kind of stops and asks me, are, 
your parents like Van Halen? And I said, I, I think my mom does. And to this day, I don't know if the kid was horrified or if he just thought I had the coolest parents ever. It, you know, in any case, that was the genius of Van Halen. They weren't just like a hard rock fan. They resonated with all sorts of different music fans. And, and that's kind of what made Van Halen so unique and, and frankly, why they sold so many albums in their catalog. And I'm still a huge fan to this day of, of Van Halen, the Roth era, mostly. This is what I heard in all that. This is how seriously old I feel and the age difference between <laughs> age difference between somebody like myself and Brian. His mom's buying Van Halen, even if it is for the, the single jump. My mom had no clue what a Van Halen was. And, you know, she's used to buying like Sinatra and big band stuff when she was alive. So the age difference of the gap is just like incredible. I could only dream of having a mom that bought rock and roll records, if even only for the single. Yeah. And that's what made her super cool because she was all sorts of different music. And that's, that's where the diversity in my you know upbringing came from. Cause my dad was very much into soul, you know, Motown stacks and the blues where my mom would listen to the Beatles and the stones and, and something like Van Halen wouldn't have been too heavy for it. But that's, again, that's Van Halen though. They had a certain commerciality without being commercial. Though so, well, we could argue about <laughs> some of the songs coming up, but yeah, that was my introduction. I think sometimes we wonder, like, how does this stuff keep living, right? Yeah. I, you know, sometimes I just heard a, uh, a ACDC song on a car commercial the other day, right? Like, there's some commercials, some movies, some TV shows for the radio stations that are out there that keep playing the classic rock. And, of course, this album has tracks that are played over and over and over. And it just kind of seeps in, right? So the other day, I'm in Sun Valley Mall, and I'm walking with a couple of the competitors, and I come across them like, what the hell are they playing? And I pull my headphone on and damn it, they're playing jump in the mall. Right. And I'm just like, this song is never going to go away ever, nope. ever. How they even remixed it. Dave remixed it with some <laughs> freaking techno crap behind it. it yeah. It's never going to go away. My experience with 1984. So at this point, I'm a 17 year old senior in high school, 16, 17 year old senior in high school. And I'm full blown into Van Halen. I'd already seen my first concert. It was the Diver Down Tour a good year and a half, two years before. 84 comes out. I'm full blown Van Halen fan. And I remember they did a special showing of Jump on New Year's Eve on MTV video. That was the first opportunity to hear this record because this record didn't get released till, I don't know, a week into January. We'll talk about that. But so that was it for me. So I was psyched. I remember spending the night at a buddy of mine's house and New Year's Eve and, you know, sitting around MTV waiting for this video to show. And it's the first opportunity you really got to see the band, you know, not the first time, but you know, you didn't see a ton of the band except for magazines and there just weren't a ton of videos at that point. So I was psyched out. Uh, and then this, you know, we'll get into the songs itself, but that was my first experience with this record. So let's get into some basic facts about the record. 1984 released on January 9th, 1984 recorded in June through October of 1983 recorded at 5150 studios in California. This is the first time that they ventured outside of sunset sound and recorded this one at Eddie's studio. 
The length of the record is 3322, labels Warner Brothers, produced once again by Ted Templeman. This is a diamond certified album, meaning that it has sold more than 10 million copies, ranked by Rolling Stone at number 81 of the 100 greatest rock albums of the 80s. I say who cares because Rolling Stone doesn't know their head from an ass. So, you know, whatever. Let's talk about the cover a little bit. The cover art was created by graphic artist Margot Nahas. It was not specifically commissioned, meaning they didn't hire uh, her to do this album cover. Nahas had been asked to create a cover that featured four chrome women dancing, but declined due to the creative difficulties. Her husband brought her portfolio to the band anyway. And from the material they chose, the painting of a, I don't know what a pudo stealing cigarettes, it's a uh, cherub, right? So it says uh, the painting of a pudo stealing cigarettes that was used. The model was Carter Helm, who was a child of one of Nahas's best friends, whom she photographed holding a, a candy cigarette, because they don't want to have a kid holding a real cigarette, for God's sakes. The front cover was censored in the UK at the time the album was released. It featured a sticker that obscured the cigarette in the Puto's hand and the pack of cigarettes. The back cover features all four band members individually with 1984 in a green futuristic font. Brian, what did you think of this uh, album cover? There's an obvious nod, whether they realize it or not, to... Black Sabbath's Heaven and Hell, you know, because you have the two angels smoking there too. So this one just being a little bit younger, but I always loved it. I'm actually probably, I'm thinking about this when I'm five or six, I'm seeing this little baby angel smoking and didn't think anything of it. And my parents talked about different parenting back then. They didn't think anything of it as, as well. So I always loved it. I have it as a t-shirt. I think it's iconic, you know, at this point. Yeah, it is absolutely iconic. Sonny, your thoughts? Yeah, I've always loved the album cover. Uh, there's a story that Margot, all of her portfolio was already sold. And this was the only picture she still owned. And they picked the picture, which was a little bit lucky. You know, this picture on the back, like Michael's so not rock. <laughs> right. I, it, you know, I don't know if it's going to come up later, but I'm listening to the album uh, over and over and over, obviously to get ready kind of thing. And I'm looking at this and I'm looking at the videos and they, they seem like above the scenes, they're all for one, one for all, but kind of knowing that they're in turmoil behind the scenes. They screw Michael out of all these royalties. Like that's hard to believe when you're watching some of the videos because they seem like they're having so much fun. Yeah. Right. So it just kind of takes a little bit of the oomph out of it when you kind of know how the story ends, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think it's easy to say that Michael's so not rock looking back on it, but at the time, I remember thinking, yeah, okay, he's a little bit different than the rest of them for sure, but I think it made it okay with the fact that he had like the Jack Daniels bass and he looked like such a party animal. He was always like having a good time. He always had a smile on his face. So I think that it made it okay. And this album cover really is so Van Halen. You know, there's just something about this album cover that is so Van Halen. It's a little bit tongue in cheek, a little bit party, you know, and a lot of rock and roll. So <laughs> I love the album cover. Like you said, Brian, it's completely iconic for sure. 
Well, especially compared to all their other album covers, they're pretty. I think you guys mentioned it. They're they're not that great. No. <laughs> so this one definitely stands out for good reason. Yeah, in my opinion, this is probably their best album cover. I mean, I like it better than Diver Down. There's nothing to Diver Down. I like it no. better than Fair Warning because Fair Warning is just a little bit strange. And then, you know, there's nothing to Van Halen 1, 2, and 3. You can say, oh, Van Halen 1 album cover is iconic. Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. it is. But, you know, it's not artwork. It's just pictures of the band, right? Right. Even the Hagar era, those no. album covers are just meh. I do like the 5150 cover. I do like the new Van Halen logo with the world thing. I, I kind of like that that image. Yeah, it's the guy that threw me off. If it was a beautiful girl holding up the globe. <laughs> It would have been nice. You know, and that's what they really should have done something like that because that would have, had that been Dave still in the band, I bet he would have pushed for something like that. And then the worst has to be three, Van Halen three, with just that old stock footage of the the guy getting hit in the chest with with a whatever. (laughs) That is sort of a funny photo. It is. For a Van Halen album, it's just, it's weird. Yeah. All right, so before we move on to the track-by-track, Sonny, do you have anything you want to add about the making of this album? Well, I'm not the one adding. (laughs) I'm going to go around the horn, jerk off. Uh, No. And Brian, do you have something you want to add about the making of this record? If anyone hasn't read it yet, the Ted Templeman book, it's not all Van Halen, but you know, there's Doobie Brothers stuff. There's all sorts of really great knowledge in there. But specifically for 1984, this is Ted was saying this is the album where Eddie really started to get erratic with his behavior uh, when it came to recording because prior albums, they had been a breeze to make according to, to Templeman because they were all done in traditional studios. But once Eddie built his home studio, you know, 5150, he demanded all of the 1984 album be recorded there. And then things started to go off the rails a bit. And what Templeman points out totally makes sense. If your home is now your workspace and you can basically work 24 hours, that's not always productive. You kind of do need a break. And we've all learned this, especially if you've worked from home during this pandemic year. And plus that because of this ease of laying tracks down, Eddie and then engineer Don Landy, they started to get obsessed over the mixes and they refused to give Templeman the master tapes. They almost missed the deadline to release the album. And and this totally put on a strain uh, between Eddie and and Ted. And it's part of the reason why Templeman really never produced another album again, though he did kind of co-produce the Carnal Knowledge album with uh, Andy Johns. So yeah, I, I really, if you're a Van Halen fan, it, this is Ted Templeman's book. This is really a must read. Yeah. There were several things that were enlightening for me in that book. The one thing between him and Don Landy, literally holding the masters in a bathroom, that right. was definitely enlightening to me. Cause I had never heard that story before and didn't know the controversy about that. And then Ted said that it was just awful working at, 5150 because 5150 at the time of them recording this record really wasn't even completely built. They were still adding things and there wasn't a lot of room and there were wires everywhere. So it was uncomfortable. And I think I can speak for anybody that works in a certain environment. You need to be sort of in, you know, comfortable in the environment you work in, whether you're a producer, whether you're, you know, a computer genius, whatever. If you're not comfortable, it's hard to work, you know? Absolutely.
All right, so let's get to the tracks. We are going to start with, well, I guess you could call it an appetizer for jump. <laughs> Brian, any thoughts on the 1984 thing at all? Yeah, so I think right off the bat, Eddie kind of wanted to continue to expand on the synthesizer route. He started on Diver Down, and actually the, the end of Fair Warning. And this was kind of a ballsy move because he had to know this would possibly alienate longtime fans. And, and speaking of aliens, that's exactly what I thought this quick intro sounded like when I first heard it as a basically as a child. It was like some sci-fi outer space type sound, and which is funny when you think about it. Michael J. Fox's character in Back to the Future <laughs> was basically doing the same thing uh, to his father in the 1950s you know, when he was playing Eddie Van Halen, the little Walkman, when he was saying he was Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan. So uh, in any case, I can understand why Eddie put this first being, you know, experimental and groundbreaking, you know, that type of musician. But as I got older, this track always felt like a throwaway. And, and I don't think time has been kind to this track, especially compared to his other instrumentals. <laughs> Steven, it just sounds like a bunch of noise to me. I, I get it. But come on, dude, just put that thing out, sell it to some sci-fi movie, move on, right? <laughs> so 1984 is part of a 45-minute synthesizer experimental thing that Eddie was experimenting with. I think I got that from the Ted Templeman book, or I got it from him somewhere else. But that's I've read that a couple of times, and that's just a section of it. They took that intro as a section of it. Here's what it reminds me of. It reminds me of going to the instrument store when I was a kid and using some of the presets on like the new synthesizers that were just coming out at the time. And you could push a button and it would make all kinds of cool sounds. And you could pretend like you're a musician when you really wasn't. Mm -hmm. And that's what it reminds me of. I don't hate it. I'm okay with intros to records. That doesn't really bug me. I know Sonny's more of a, it's a waste of my time type thing. And I get that. I do understand it, but it just didn't, it didn't bother me other than the fact that I'm a Van Halen fan. The last thing I want to hear is dang synthesizers on a Van Halen record. So I rather have it to where on the packaging, it says, listener, please read this simple note. So you don't have to listen to one minute of me wasting your time. Put your mind space in alien mode. Okay. <laughs> go ahead and put the CD on. <laughs> right he would save me a minute all right so we go from that to jump now number one hit every classic van halen fan was looking for a bridge to jump off of the minute they had heard this keyboard intro uh brian your thoughts on jump well it's funny you mentioned that. i'll get to that <laughs> but I, I think it'd be very easy today to dismiss jump for either the burnout factor or being too poppy the only reason I was even introduced to Van Halen in the first place was because of those very things. You know, Jump is just infectious. It, it was heard everywhere. And somebody like my parents, who were not big hard rock fans, would buy a Van Halen album because of the pop sensibility. And again, that was the genius of Eddie and, and David Rock. Now, with songs like Jump, Iron Man, Walk This Way, I usually avoid them when they come on radio, when I'm driving, pretty much the only time I listen to radio. But if I'm listening to like, you know, 1984 is a full length album, I never skip it ever. I'm never burnt out on songs when listening to specific, you know, as albums as a whole, if that makes sense. Uh, and whether or not the song is too poppy, I guess that's dependent on your musical taste because the guitar solo definitely isn't poppy and the keyboard solo is tremendous. So I think they blended those in perfectly. And then when Sammy tried to cover the song during the Van, Van Hagar years, it kind of just sounded stupid. You know, whether or not you think Roth has a great voice or not, nobody sells Van Halen music better than him. And also, this kind of goes to what Sonny was saying. According to Ted Templeman's book, 
he spoke to Roth initially about the lyrics. And according to Dave, it's not about suicide, like jumping off a bridge or a building, but it's actually finding the nerve to ask, you know, the girl you've been making at, you know, eyes at all night to dance. And even she might you know, turn you down, you take that leap of faith and jump at the chance. And, and also with that line about the jukebox, I, I think that lends some credibility to this being, you know, the impetus behind the lyrics and, and not suicide. So. Yeah, Stephen, one of the things I realized the other day was the pace, like the pace of the music matters on this song, because if it was any faster, it probably does not have the same feeling. It doesn't have the same melody if it was any uh, faster. Uh, So the pace is exactly right. But this song is the gateway to every soccer mom in (laughs) the world for Van Halen. And here's the thing. Brian mentions songs like walk this way and what were the other songs that you mentioned iron man Man, all these songs that get played over and over the thing about it is is that if you hear walk this way and sweet emotion it's the same band if you hear iron man and paranoid it's the same band if you hear unchained and jump not the same freaking band this is a problem this is a really big stretch and As much as I want to say I hate this song, and I've said I hate this song on other episodes because of the burnout factor on this song, if you take the Van Halen name off this song, this song is poppy, catchy, melodic song. I mean, it's it's not a bad song, Uh, and the guitar solo is cool, but I just don't... I don't want to hear my Van Halen do it, and I sure as hell don't want to hear it kick off the record. So, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Jump, but I respect it for what it is and what it did for the band. And and let's not forget that another band had a huge hit with a song called Jump the same year, Pointer Sisters. (laughs) Jump for your love, baby. That's right. And, And one other thing, let me add, is that I did hear something some sort of YouTube documentary recently that said that even though in Templeman's book that it says Dave didn't write this song about suicide, that he was influenced by a news flash that came on the television about a jumper in New York deciding whether or not to jump off of a building. 
So I don't know. I think that's where the lines are getting confused. Who knows? Yeah. I'd always heard that too yeah. until I read Teppelman's book. And uh, who knows? I, I tend to believe Ted, but who knows? It's been a long time. And so. if you asked Dave, you wouldn't get a straight answer. Never. never. <laughs> so I watched the video the other day and uh, I remember because I'm an MTV kid, right? So 84 is when I'm getting into music and this video was playing over and over and over. And I remember watching this video going, who is this jackass doing like high kicks when Paul is jumping through hoops of fire, Sammy's driving race cars, Prince is on motorcycles, and this dumbass is doing kicks. Right? So it totally turned me off. To, it wasn't the musicality or blah, blah. It was Roth that turned me off at the beginning. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. I wasn't into Van Halen the minute I heard him because I was like, that's that goofy guy. It's later on, later on videos that we'll talk about that. I'm like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> wait, these are the same guys. Okay. This, this seems a little more doable now, but I saw this video the other day too. I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous to be honest with you. Well, that brings up a great point because I, we didn't have MTV until I think 91. So, I mean, I've obviously I saw Van Halen videos at friend's house, but not at when I first heard it. So that's kind of the fun thing. When I first heard this, I had to make up in my own mind what these guys looked like. Like, I don't even remember looking in the inner sleeve of the cassette. I just like, well, this sounds cool. So I don't, you know, it doesn't matter what they look like. So the innocence of young listening, I guess. Yeah. I, I felt bad for uh, Alex in the video because, you know, you got <laughs> Dave like rubbing his ass with a mic stand. You got Eddie smiling, Michael being all goofy. And Alex is like sweating behind the drums trying to keep up or whatever. And I'm like, poor guy. He's working really hard. Well, wait till we get to one of the other videos. And, and Alex looks totally out of place in one of yeah. these videos. So, yep. <laughs> All right. Let's go to Panama. So every classic Van Halen fan, if they made it through Jump, I guess, was rewarded by something that really is a Van Halen classic. What do you think about Panama, Brian? Oh, yeah. It's in my top five, top ten favorite Van Halen songs. I, you know, at this point, I'd never heard riffs or guitar sounds like the opening chords to, to Panama ever before. So it was mind-blowing to me, you know, the first time, especially after hearing Jump. And and when the band kicks in and then Roth starts in with the scat vocals and the screams, I was all in because, it was again, it was groundbreaking to me. And to this day, I love songs with riffs that grab you immediately. And Panama definitely does that.
feeling a little bit hot tonight I can barely see the road from the heat coming up Reach down between my legs Ease the seat back and I think what I enjoyed being five or six year old, you know, years old, hearing this for the first time was the space, meaning when Dave starts to sing the proper lyrics, there's a rhythm. It's not 100 miles an hour. There's a groove. That's that's Alex Van Halen that I could get into. And that really piqued my interest. And that's probably why this song probably developed my fondness of gang vocals, because that enormous chorus of Panama, that always just sounded amazing to me. I, I still love this song today. Yeah, Stephen, we've talked about it before. That breakdown, there ain't nobody else that can sell that. That's just all there is to it. That breakdown, this song, it's a bit fatigue for me at this point, but I'll be honest, this song is probably a damn near perfect song. I mean, everything from the big gang courses to the melody to Dave's lyrics are genius because you don't know what the hell Dave is talking about. Is he talking about a chick? Is he talking about a car? I don't know. That breakdown, just like you mentioned, Sonny, nobody sells a breakdown like DLR. DLR is the only guy that can sell that breakdown. They talked about when they break this song down into that slow part, they backed up Eddie's Ferrari to the studio and hooked all these mics up to the exhaust pipe. And he revs his, I don't know what year, this classic Ferrari. And uh, I read an article where whoever was in the studio at the time was talking about the fumes in the studio were awful uh, because he had this exhaust going into the studio while they were recording this breakdown. I mean, it's it's genius. This song really is uh, not only iconic, but classic. And it's, uh, it's every bit warranted as a damn near perfect uh, rock song. So I don't know about you guys. Again, I was watching the video the other day. This was the first time I had seen somebody make the O's with the cigarette smoke. Hmm. Was this the first the time you'd ever seen that? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't think I've seen anybody else do it, actually. <laughs> Not like that. Um, I remember that part with Valerie sitting at the piano in the background. That was yeah, cool. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. then Dave getting mock arrested and, yeah. and all that. Yeah. And then, you know, the Jack Daniels bass, dude, it's half Michael Anthony's fault and it's half Slash's fault that I was drinking Jack like it was going out of style. That's why I got the bass. It was, man, I saw it on the video and I'm like, I got to have that. I got to figure out someday to buy that somehow. And uh, luckily I came across one, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a great song for sure. All right. So, Top Jimmy. Oh, Brian! What do you think about the song? <laughs> well, oh, Sonny, uh, or oh, Sherry, or whatever we want to go. Uh, one of the many great things for, for me about Van Halen is the diversity of their sound. And sometimes it was subtle. So I think Top Jimmy is a good example of this, mostly with the intro. Uh, the clean guitar intro is a complete bait and switch from what the song eventually evolves into. And, and at this point, I think that the sequencing of the album is really interesting because all three songs, for me, are completely different in vibe for the most part, which is great. Top Jimmy is kind of the deep track that I think fans of the original Van Halen adore, and I'm in that boat. It's not filler at all. I think it just kind of fits in the flow of an album. Uh, and, and the highlight for me has to be Eddie's soul on this one. And, and I do like that the clean tone of the rhythm uh, playing underneath, it kind of gets a different feel than past Van Halen songs. I, I think it's kind of a sleeper. I've always, I've always dug, and I think Roth sounds great on this one. Yeah, Stephen, the only thing that uh, DLR didn't really write about was actually how the tacos tasted. Basically, <laughs> everything else, he put jimmy's life on blast here <laughs> yeah top jimmy and the rhythm pigs as they call it so top jimmy was a a performer there in hollywood uh he had a i guess a 
blues cover band. And he was basically nobody, but David Lee Roth sure liked him. And like Sonny said, put his life on blast. And the guy's not still alive today, but he sort of got a piece of Van Halen history tied to him. I love this song for me, the background vocals, but what Van Halen song doesn't have great background vocals? I don't know. This is just another example of that. The great background vocals on Van Halen tunes and I think that this, maybe this song wasn't huge for me when the album first came out, but as fatigue set in with some of the other major hits of this record, to me, Top Jimmy is one of those sort of deeper tracks that really shines on this album and really is one of my favorites off this record today, you know, as opposed to when it first came out, if that makes any sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a great three-song put-together start of the album, for sure. Yeah. All right, so the next track, supposedly inspired by Marilyn Monroe and Some Like It Hot. Mm -hmm. Ryan, what do you think about Drop Dead Legs? Well, way to name drop for movies. Good job, man. Damn yeah, movie. Like we'll eventually cover that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is almost like, and hanging with me on this one, Van Halen-style blues in many ways, because the band has done things like Ice Cream Man and Take Your Whiskey Home, The Full Bug. And that's unmistakable blues. Drop Dead Legs is kind of like Van Halen putting their own spin on on it. And I don't think non-blues enthusiasts would necessarily pick up on it, but I'm a huge connoisseur of the blues, so I definitely hear it. Plus, the lyrics are just dripping with the, you know, Ross, you know, sexual overtones. And it's almost kind of like a sister song to this old blues standard called Big Legged Woman. And uh, again, this is an album track through and through, just like, you know, Top Jimmy. And I think it's a, a cool way to end side one, especially with the final minute and a half because uh, Eddie's just kind of noodling away on guitar until, you know, the song finally fades out. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I gotta say, I'm not in love with this song, Stephen. Like this, this song, the chorus tries to save it, but the rest of it, I don't know. It's another deep track favorite of mine. It's another one of those songs that kind of shines for me. And I hadn't heard this before today when I was doing a little bit of research, but when I heard it and I went and listened to it, I was like, oh, you know what? That's kind of true. I heard that this song was inspired by Back in Black. And when you go back and listen to this with Back in Black in mind, I can hear it. Nothing not to love about Back in Black, and I like this song as well. Like uh, Brian said, I think it's a great closer to side one, uh, and the you know guitar outro at the end is just insane, as you would expect from Edward Van Halen. So, yeah, I don't I don't hate this song. I like the pace. It's kind of a a sludgy drag pace type thing, but that's all right. It's got good groove to it, so it works for me. Yeah, I hear the back and black kind of now because of the space. You know, it's kind of that dun, 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 dun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yep. So, Brian, you mentioned the lyrics, right? Yeah. And so the two verses, I get it. Dave can be really good, and then sometimes he makes absolutely no sense, right? So the first verse says, drop dead legs, pretty smile, hurts my head, gets me wild. Got you. Yep. Dig that steam, I'm assuming from the vent, I guess. Giant butt. I don't think my Earl Moreau has a giant butt, but okay. Makes me scream. I get nothing but shakes over you and nothing else could ever do. Got you. All makes sense. Beautiful. The second verse. Dig those moves. Vampire. What? Set me loose. Get it higher. I guess you had to pick vampire to rhyme. <laughs> Throw my rope. Loop-de-loop. What are you, 80? Nice white teeth. Betty Boop. Seriously? So it's like all of a sudden it was just words putting together. Like, come on, dude. Well, that's like scat vocals. I mean, that's where he comes from. Like kind of that old school, you know, just make it rhyme. It, it's all about the presentation. It works for some reason. And again, when I first hear this, like as a kid, I don't care. Like, it just <laughs> yeah. it sounds yeah. cool. But I get it. As an adult, you're totally right. I mean, this is you. But when you overanalyze rock music, ooh, you know, <laughs> maybe yeah. not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So next track, Hot for Teacher. I don't know about you guys possibly the best music video in history, definitely the best rock music video in history, and possibly one of the most perfect songs in history. Brian, what do you think about Hot for Teacher? 100% agree with all of that. First, the, the, the music video. Again, yeah, by far the best Van Halen video. Definitely the best video of all time for me. And what's funny as a young kid, I, of course, noticed the bikini-clad teacher, but I was actually more amused with the mini-me versions of the band <laughs> when I was a kid. Of course, when I got a bit older, the teacher became the main focus, but again, that's the charm of Van Halen's sense of entertainment, and there's something for everyone. There are two songs from 1984 that are in my top 10 all-time Van Halen songs, Panama and Hot for Teacher. Hot for Teacher has all the elements I love, and I think most Roth era fans love about the band. The song just rips. It's fun. The musicianship is impeccable. Nobody can match the vibe. 
you know, how many bands tried to match Van Halen in the 80s with this type of track? I'm, I'm saying hello to the Bullet Boys. Uh, but the Van Halen just stands alone. And there's so many little ingenious things going on in this song, like the, the bottles knocking in the background, the side conversations as Dave's doing his things. I, it's awesome. And, and the drum solo is unlike anything you've ever heard before. And part of the reason it's so unique is because it's a mixture of Alex's drums. And that, that exhaust pipe again. And so I always read it was a Lamborghini, but it, maybe it was a Corvette or a Ferrari. I, I don't know. But that putt-putt, I always thought it sounded like a popcorn machine as a kid. And that, that first five seconds is just that exhaust. So, of course, when you hear drummers trying to copy the sound, there's no way they can do it because it's not even that. It's not real. It's mixed in. So it's, it's just a brilliant song. Now, Waldo, I hope you find some friends this year. Oh, Mom, you know I'm not like other guys. I'm nervous and my socks are too loose. Sit down, Waldo.
For me, the timing is perfect because I am 14 years old. And if you were trying to connect to male teenagers <laughs> early in their life, damn, you got me at the perfect age. And Steven, like even Waldo's mom is hot in that <laughs> damn video. I'm 16 and 17. Anybody <laughs> with boobs is hot to me at this point. <laughs> <laughs> this video, this song, this is the signature Van Halen song. This is the boogie woogie ZZ top shuffle Van Halen sound. That's what this song is. And it's got a guitar solo at the beginning and it's got a killer video and the band looks great. There's nothing to dislike about this entire presentation. I can't believe that they found these four kids that look similar to the band themselves, or at least they made them to look pretty damn similar to the band themselves. And that comes off great. The teacher who's extremely hot, that comes off great. What was her name? Cherry Lane or something? Didn't that, <laughs> isn't that what her sash said? Something like that. So that's fantastic. I love the ending of the video where they've gone on to become these different things, you know, game show host and things like that. That's fantastic. I learned what a gynecologist was. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Dr. Alex Van Halen, yeah. gynecologist. This is how you kick off a second side of an album. Man, killer. Punch in the face. I used it the other day because I was going to see uh, my uh, youngest daughter play marching band at the football game. And I was a little late and Nicole said, you're late. And I said, I don't feel tardy. And she was just looking at me going, I don't understand what that means. I'm like, And I started laughing and she has no clue what the hell I'm doing. Right. There's so many one-liners from that. You can get shirts now that say like, I don't feel tardy or I bought my pencil, yeah. things like that. I mean, how, how many idiots there's three on this video right now. How many idiots can you say, I bought my pencil and we all know what we're talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah. Or I don't feel tardy. Come on. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Next track, I'll wait. So before I go to Brian here, mm -hmm. I had to go do the research because I'm a believer that if this song has a video, it goes number one also, right? It stalled at number 13. It never got a video. It's in the heat of MTV. David Lee Roth needs to be on camera to sell. And if it got to number 13 without a video, there's no doubt in my mind it'd be number one. But when it stalled at 13, here was the top 12 songs, just so you get an idea. Mm -hmm. All right. Number 12, Borderline by Madonna. Number 11, Self-Control by Laura Branigan. 10 was To All the Girls I've Loved Before by Julio Iglesias and Willie Nelson. <laughs> 
Number nine was Breakdance, Irene Cara. That song, I actually don't know that well. Eight was The Heart of Rock and Roll by Huey Lewis. That's that's tough. Seven, this should have been number I think this might have went number one. Against All Odds, Take a Look at Me Now by Phil Collins, oh, which that's a tough sure. one to beat. Yep. Six was Sister Christian by Night Ranger. Okay, that's a tough one to beat too. Five, The Reflex by Duran Duran, mm-hmm. which is a good song. Yep. Four, Oh Sherry by Steve Perry. That one's a tough one to beat. Oh, Three, Hello by Lionel Richie. That's yeah. a tough one to beat. Two, Time After Time by Cindy Lauper. That's a tough one to beat. The number one song, though, was Denise Williams' Let's Hear It for the Boy. Footloose. That was number one when all these other great songs were on the charts. Footloose. I don't know that Laura Branigan song. Self-Control? That wasn't her big hit, though. She had a huge hit, but that yeah, wasn't Gloria. it. Gloria. Yeah, Gloria was before this. Yeah. I don't remember. Laura Branigan was huge. Yeah. I think uh, Self-Control was riding his coattails kind of thing. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. And she was on the Ghostbuster soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. But that Footloose soundtrack, I mean, they probably had three or four number one hits. That's yeah. a huge soundtrack. So we know Ted hated the song. Brian, what do, you, what do you think about I'll Wait? Well, I always thought it was kind of like the sister song to Jump because of the mid-paced tempo. Of course, the heavy use of synths uh, from Eddie. And for me, it's, it's basically, it's, I think it's a catcher song than Jump. It just it didn't have that super simple and uh, you know riff and chorus and everything like Jump. But I, I think detractors of Roth who said he couldn't evolve, you know, evolved into the popular side of what Van Hagar essentially became. I don't think they were really paying attention to earlier albums because I think I'll Wait is a perfect example where you can use sense and you can have a radio-friendly vibe and, and still be awesome without being you know forced or cheesy. And I'll, I'll take I'll Wait in a heartbeat over the kind of the gluttony of of love songs and the, the kind of flaccid love songs that came for Van Hagar. And I'm sorry, Sonny, but, uh, you know, I, I, they just don't do anything for me. And you mentioned Ted Templeman and because there's definitely a connection and that's Michael McDonald. And he was a, a friend of Ted Templeman and he helped Dave basically finish off the lyrics to the song when he was stuck. And the un- unfortunate part about all of this is when the album was finally released, McDonald saw that he wasn't even giving given songwriting credit for it, especially because I'll wait would have never happened without McDonald's, you know, assistance. And, and this slight probably came from the Van Halen camp, like the management, and they just decided not to give him credit, even though he earned it. And it's typical music business BS. And I would hope to think, you know, if the guys in the band knew what was going on, they would have, you know, kind of spoke up for something, but I could understand why McDonald was pissed, you know, he should have gotten credit and he eventually did, but not in the beginning.
Yeah, McDonald's is set at McDonald's. <laughs> McDowell's. Uh, yeah, McDowell's. Uh, Michael McDonald has said he's made more money off this song than he made from the Doobie Brothers. There right? you go. So I've always liked the song, obviously. I think Roth does a great vocal. I honestly think Sammy would have killed this song, too. Stephen, what do you think about this song? I like this song a lot, and I'm with Brian. I actually like this song better than Jump. Part of the problem with this song, or part of the reason I may like this song a lot, is that this was tied to an old girlfriend in high school. I love the synth bass sound at the beginning, that groove, that thumping groove. So it's not too ballady for me. It's more of a rock pop song, which I can appreciate. Yeah, I agree with you, Sonny. That's a great point. If this song has a video, it gets definitely in the top five. So that's a fantastic point. But it couldn't be better than Lionel Richie's video of Hello, My God. I wonder why they didn't make a video for this. That is interesting. Yeah, because the other three were huge hits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Somebody's got to ask somebody, I guess. Okay, next, Girl Gone Bad. So there's a story out there. I guess Eddie's sleeping. There's a riff swimming in his head. He gets up at five o'clock in the morning, doesn't want to wake Valerie up, goes into his closet, turns on his cassette player, and records this riff.
What do you think about Girl Gone Bad, Brian? Yeah, I think if there's ever, if there's a filler track on this album, it's Girl Gone Bad. I, I still enjoy it, but it's kind of what Max Norman, I think it was Max Norman that said it, about the second to last track on an album when it comes to sequencing, it's always the weakest track. It always goes there. In this case, compared to the rest of the songs in the album, uh, the instrumental notwithstanding, I think this kind of applies to Girl Gone Bad. I never skipped this song. And again, there's very few, if any, Roth era songs that I truly don't find enjoyable in some way i'd say the main drawback to girl gone bad is that there really isn't much creativity with ross's lyrics on this one we had gone to other songs i think it's even uh worse on this one it's possible he didn't dig the song and therefore he just kind of went with the scat style vocal here even the backup chorus you know the girl it's kind of (laughs) lazy so i'd say the biggest positive here is the music itself which is really interesting to listen to eddie and alex and i'm not sure michael anthony's playing on bass here I i don't know if that's true but the bass lines sound a lot more creative than normal which lends me to think it might be eddie and also, I never really noticed this until, again, reading Templeman's book, but he believes the drums are way too high in the mix for this one. But again, all the, at this point, all of the mixes are being done by Eddie and Don Landy at 5150. So, and I think Ross' vocals kind of sound buried here. So, not my favorite song. Okay, so we're going to get hate mail. So, uh, <laughs> you can just go ahead and send that hate mail to me because I'm about to say something. And good luck finding me at gmail.com. Um, <laughs> Gene's Good Girl Gone Bad is 1,000% better than this girl gone bad. So go listen to crazy nights. Cause it's better. Stephen, what do you think? Brian, you never skip a Van Halen song, huh? So have you heard loss of control? <laughs> I like loss of control. I like loss of control. I do. I do. No apologies. It's my favorite Van Halen album. So maybe that's why I don't know. <laughs> the album itself is okay, but anyway, so yeah, this song, here's where I'm going to differ from you guys. This song, Drop Dead Legs, which we already talked about, Top Jimmy, these are songs that I like off this record in 2021 as opposed to 1984. And it's not that I'm saying they're better than a Panama or Hot for Teacher or anything like that, because that's not at all what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that fatigue sets in with Jump and Hot for Teacher and Panama. And I love those songs. And even I'll wait. Fatigue sets in. But with songs like Drop Dead Legs and Top Jimmy and Girl Gone Bad, it doesn't set in because they don't get played that much. And Sonny's going to go, yeah, it's because they're not that good. But I don't care. I like them. So, you know, are they my favorite Van Halen songs? No, but I do like them. And I like this song, and I like the background vocals, and I like the guitar. And and I like Vicky, and she likes me back. And she showed me her boobies, and I like them too. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's just, it is what it is. But that's how I, I view it. Well, I'll tell you, Girl Gone Bad is not the worst song on this album, because House of Pain, <laughs> which is next, is actually the worst song on this album. Oh, my Brian, God. what do you think about this song? It's no loss of control, but I, I disagree with Sonny. <laughs> I love, love, love the intro lick. I, I think it evolves into a, a huge monster riff, which which I, I like. Uh, it's one of the oldest songs on, on the album because it, there was a version of this that goes back to their club days before their debut. Uh, lyrically, so speaking of damn good movie memories, this is actually, I did an episode a long time ago about songs inspired by movies. This is actually inspired by a movie called The Island of Lost Souls, came out in the 30s. And so Roth kind of painted a picture like only he can. I, I think the highlight of the song are the huge riffs and the soul from Eddie for me. Personally, I find it a great way to end the album, but I like albums that end on like a fast song, you know, like, like on fire for the debut or, or if you think of uh, master puppets, you know, start fast end fast. I like when, when bands do that. So I do like uh, this song and I like how it ends. 
Yeah, I don't have a problem with songs and uh, albums ending with fast songs. I just mm-hmm. better would be better. I get um, <laughs> Steven, I mean, they're trying to save the song at the end. And the end, actually, I'm good with. It's the rest of it that's not so good. But I'm assuming you love this song because you love all Van Halen songs because you're a Van Halen fan. Sit down, Waldo. I don't love all Van Halen songs, but I like this song a lot. This is one of the heavier Van Halen songs. And to Brian's point, this song goes back to the club days. This was on uh, the Gene Simmons demo that I have. And there's a lot I like about the demo version of this song. They didn't really have to change a ton of stuff. They changed a few things, but I like this song. It's, It's heavy. And it's, again... I keep going back to this, but it is what it is. Top Jimmy, Drop Dead Legs, Girl Gone Bad, and House of Pain for me are great songs in 2021 when I'm sick of hearing Panama and Jump and Hot for Teacher. Although Hot for Teacher, I can probably hear every minute of the day. doesn't really matter. But uh, the rest of them, I just, I like these songs and it, and it helps me be able to listen to the album as a whole in 2021. I went through this record today and I enjoy these songs. So there you go. Suck it, Poony. <laughs> so lyrically in the second verse on this song, follow me here. Heartaches all around me. How many times we cried. She said she tried to leave me, but her hands were always tied. If I had it all to do, I do it just the same. Gonna fix it so you never leave this house of pain. So if you're missing a friend, they might be in Roth's basement for all we know. What do you want to focus on today? I'm glad you asked that. I'm gonna tell you something that I've never told anyone before. Okay. I'm a serial killer. Oh, God. That feels so amazing to say out loud. Well, you got to see the movie, I Don't Off Souls. It will make more sense. <laughs> but yes, if you, if you don't have that context, forget it. And to be clear, this is a thousand percent better than Faster Pussycat's House of Pain. <laughs> Absolutely. hundred percent. No Going doubt. Going back to, to unreleased stuff, do you think Wolfie will eventually release the vault? I don't know. I think Wolfie's trying to step away from it a little bit. There's Because there there's rumors that there was uh, they were trying to do In the Midnight Hour, like they had something done but it was never released for this there's rumors they cut just a gigolo for this but then it didn't end up here you know we, who knows what's in the vault and yeah. remember there was rumors about we don't know how the vault is organized and that only eddie knew how it was organized like there's a lot of questions about the vault yeah here's what i think is going to happen i think that warner brothers probably hires somebody to come in and help dig through stuff and maybe presents it to Wolfie and Wolfie signs off on it because Wolfie's busy with his own career. He's going to, he's got this new record coming out, which I mean, I'm liking what I'm hearing from him. I'm glad that he's not doing the exact same thing as Van Halen. So good for him. And he seems like a talented guy. So I'm rooting for Wolfie Van Halen, but uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, there's, I've listened to interviews where Eddie is talking and said that he's got nine albums worth of material at 5150, but who the hell knows what's in there? Well, even just the outtakes would be nice, but you know, not everyone's going to be organized like Gene Simmons and then release the vault and things like that. So listen, if somebody could dig through Jimmy Hendrix's crap and get stuff out, somebody's going to be able to get some of this stuff out eventually. I would hope so. The difference with Jimmy's stuff is the guy who was involved at the beginning is still involved. Right. So he knew at least where to look and what it meant right here. 
you're basically going into somebody else's garage and trying to figure out how they got to a third of this car being built. And if they used all the stuff they were supposed to use and is it savable? I think we have a shot at, and it hasn't happened in a while, but if you remember the whole Nat King Cole, Natalie Cole thing, how she kind of grabbed some stuff and kind of mixed it in. I think it'd be great for Wolfie to do his thing, but then there's a piece in there where it's his dad playing the guitar solo because it was a clip off of one of the tapes in 5150. I think that does justice to what Wolfie's doing. It does justice to his dad. I think that's a smart way to do it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, All right. So final thoughts on this album before we kind of get to top two, bottom two. For me, it was the whole synth approach, perfect timing for 1984. There is absolutely no doubt. You heard what what else was on the charts. These guys got played because they happened to hit right when synth was getting big. Good for them. They rode the coattails and maybe created some of the coattails for rock. But I think they rode the coattails of pop because they were coming right behind Hall and & Oates and all those guys with some synth stuff that really hit uh, dead on. Brian, what do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely true. They were definitely the right place at the right time. Now, they were innovators, so I think people cut them some slack compared to some bands that did it. You know, Johnny Come Lately's that were definitely trying to make a name for themselves, so they were already established. But yeah, that's, this will always hold a special place in my Van Halen discography because it was the first time I heard the band. And so uh, I still go back to those fond memories. You know, eventually we'll get into down the road, like where is Frank's and my you know top Van Halen albums. But yeah, it still holds up for me. I, I'm not burnt out on it. Now, those specific songs, definitely burnt out. I can't listen to them on the radio. But if I just put on the vinyl, I, I, I'm taken back to being a kid again. So yeah, yeah. it still holds a, a nice place for me. Steven, before we get your final thoughts, Brian, top two, bottom two, if you had to knock two off of this thing. Well, top two is definitely Hot for Teacher in Panama. And then bottom two, Girl Gone Bad. And I'm going to cheat 1984. Just okay. remove the, the intro. Yeah. Steven, your final thoughts and top two, bottom two? Final thoughts for me is uh, this was a record that came at the height of my uh, rock and roll love for Van Halen. So uh, it was a disappointment once Roth left, but I saw this concert shortly after this album was released. I saw it the end of January 84. Uh, You want me to give you the set list real quick? No, (laughs) you didn't do it anyway. Just give it. Who, Who opened? I think Autograph opened this tour. When I saw it, yeah. Autograph opened this tour when I saw it. They opened with Unchained, Hot for Teacher, Drum Solo, On Fire, which I don't actually remember them playing that, but okay. That's what it says. That's awesome, though. That's what it says. Running with the Devil, Little Guitars, Cathedral, House of Pain, Bass Solo, Jamie's Crying, I'll Wait, Everybody Wants Some, Girl Gone Bad, 84 Into Jump, Guitar Solo, Pretty Woman, Panama, You Really Got Me, ain't talking about love. They were always really good about playing the current album of whatever tour they were doing. It was a fantastic show. I mean, listen, uh, we chased them down at the hotel, saw Alex get into a limousine with his girlfriend or his wife. I don't know. That's about as close as we got to him. And uh, yeah, you know, it was a good experience when you're 16, 17 years old. Hey, it's a great album. Obviously, it sold... Uh, 10 million plus albums for a reason. And I think this is what uh, solidified Van Halen, not only in the uh, households of rockers, but in the households, like uh, I was saying earlier, of soccer moms. Yeah, or or my mom. (laughs) Top two, bottom two. 
top two for me has to be Panama and Hot for Teacher. Take away the fatigue factor. That's it. Just is what it is. And uh, bottom two for me are going to be 1984 and Jump. Yeah, top two for me are Hot for Teacher and I'll Wait. I love those two songs. Uh, bottom two, House of Pain and Drop Dead Legs. Suck it. Whatever. <laughs> All right, so we usually try to connect it with Kiss, so here we go. You wanted a freshman, you got the best, the hottest band in the world, Kiss! It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So for the Kistoric moment, well, Kiss released an album in 1984 called Animalize. And yes, it was my entry point to Kiss because Paul was jumping through hoops of fire and Gene had women all over him and Eric was doing his thing and Mark was just sitting there. So anyway, I text Brian and I said, give me your fave Animalize song. He texts back. The joke answer would be, of course, burn, bitch, burn. But I'll pick Lonely is the Hunter. So here you go. Lonely is the Hunter.
So Brian Davis loves Lonely is the Hunter as his favorite. I do. As his favorite animalized tune. And here's why he loves it. Because Brian Davis is an Aerosmith fan. And this song definitely has that sort of Aerosmith feel, I'll call it. You know, that groove. Not that it sounds just like Aerosmith, but it has that groove. Uh, and that's why you love this song. I don't know how you pick this song over a song uh, uh, like Out of the Fire, because that definitely is my favorite track off this record. But it's a good tune. It was between those two songs. Yeah. Just in general, I prefer Gene, just his voice, not necessarily the lyrics, but the, the <laughs> voice. Uh, I've always loved you know Gene's voice. This is also one of the two songs that has Bruce Kulick on it. Uh, I like his playing better than Mark St. John. As you said, it's got that Aerosmith bluesy swagger to it. So it, it always stood for me. And the, the better song, as you said, is probably, you know, Into the Fire. But yeah, this is one I always go to. It's a deep track. Maybe people miss it. It ends, I think it ends side one, if I remember correctly. So yeah, I just, I've always liked that song. Yeah, it's a good Gene track off that album. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Could have picked uh, Murder and High. Oh, God, that's brutal. <laughs> Oh, God. So this has been fun, man. This is good. This takes me back. I continue to say that I absolutely love going through these Van Halen records every month because it forces me to go listen to the record, to do the research. And every time I start to do it, I enjoy it. And it also gives us the opportunity to bring on people that we don't have interaction with every day. And it just is fun to do that, especially when it's friends of the show like Brian Davis or any of the number of people that we've had on before Brian. So Brian, thanks once again for coming on and being a part of the Grown Up Rock podcast. You know, we always like you coming on the show and you always have a home here, just like Sonny and I share damn good movie memories every so often absolutely and uh i'm gonna leave you with this for the most part my musical tastes are probably closer to steven than sunny but that's okay sunny knows this sunny doesn't care so you know he's good but what i always love about this, the podcast are sunny's deadpan definitive take on things so my all-time favorite sunny take was on the greatest hits episode you guys gotta listen to this one now, i can i can see him thinking like what did i say what did i yeah, say what did i say, say? yeah so steven mentions the rolling stones and tom petty okay so two of the most beloved artists of all time just loaded with hits. Sonny just flippantly says, ah, maybe I know five Stone songs, maybe, <laughs> maybe maybe three Petty songs. So I'm laughing. I'm, you know, this is great. And so everyone's got their own favorites. So that that's that's not what I have a beef with. I never have a beef, but it's just fun to listen to. So then without missing a beat, he's brushed off the Stones. He's brushed off Tom Petty. Sonny tells everyone to go get Rick Springfield's greatest hits. <laughs> <laughs> I nearly fell out of my seat. Rick Springfield is the epitome of a one-hit wonder to the vast majority of, of music listeners. So, I mean, his greatest hits could be like an EP. It would be Jesse's Girl and five alternate versions of Jesse's Girl. The, the dance remix, the radio edit, the live version. Maybe you'll get some dialogue from his days on General Hospital. But that's why I love you guys together. There's no shame, complete confidence in your picks. And, and that's why Growing Up Rock is such a terrific listen. But man, I just I, that, that knocked me out of my chair. You know what it is? Brian, Sonny's got no respect for freaking rock and roll history. <laughs> this guy's history starts with people like Rick Springfield. This guy's got no respect for it. Respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Respect. People like you and I, we have the blues and and that respect, even if they're not our favorite bands, whether it's a Zeppelin or a Stones or whatever, we have that respect for the history. Sonny 
sticks his nose up at old time stuff or uh, nostalgia. That bastard. I could tell you right now, I could name more Rick Springfield, Lover Boy, and Survivor songs <laughs> than I could Stones, Tom Petty, Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, or any of those other shitty bands. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, if you if Rick Springfield heard you say this, he'd be like, I, I don't want this guy coming to my yeah, show anymore. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Here's your money back. <laughs> Go here, Here's a copy of Hard to Hold. <laughs> oh, my God. So, Brian, when does damn good movie memories come out on all platforms? Because you, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can hear his podcast. Damn good movie memories. When do you drop each uh, week? Yeah, every Friday afternoon. So every, or it might be night, depending on if you're on the East Coast. But yeah, consistently, there's been at least one episode for the last four and a half years. So you know you're going to get something interesting, and and you always get great guests like like Sonny and Steven. So as always, thank you guys so, so much for having me. It's it's always been a lot of fun, and you guys are the best together. I really I look forward to listening to you guys every week. Thanks, buddy. Sonny, you got anything you want to add before we get out of here? Well, yeah, I, w- I want to add something uh, because people stop listening to us after I say this. So the <laughs> best thing about this episode is the next four months is Sammy, baby. Next four months are Sammy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So unfortunately, this is the end of the Roth era for now. Uh, and it's on to the Hagar air next month, which will <laughs> usher in 5150. We'll have another guest next month. And. You know, it'll be interesting to see how opinions flip, maybe. I don't know. I think Sonny's been enlightened by the Roth era. I will honestly say that. And we'll see where we go from there because I'll have a different opinion about the same era. And my opinion of the same era has definitely changed over the last 10 years. So we'll see where I go. How about we just have Jen step in for those four? Uh, No. (laughs) <laughs> that's not happening at least next episode we'll bring somebody that is on your side somewhat so um anyway it's been real it's been fun as always it's been real fun with brian davis from damn good movie memories thank you so much for all the listeners oh, we hope you guys are enjoying this van halen every month and uh tune in weekly for our regular episodes that's it thanks see ya later Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.